1: members get early access to most videos and get to participate in monthly zoom hangouts with mike here's the biggest stories we talked about this week on the humanist report enjoy the show
0: So, not too long ago, Bill Maher insisted that he hasn't actually shifted to the right. Contrary to popular belief, he's still the same person he's always been. You know, he's saying a lot more right-wing talking points now and sounds more and more like a Fox News host every single episode that he posts. But, I mean, it's really everyone else that's changed while he's stayed the same. He's still the center-left liberal that he's always been. Okay, well, let's check in on Bill Maher. What is he talking about now? Well, in the latest episode of Real Time... He talked about Florida's don't say gay bill, and uh, he's going to defend this bill's existence. And not only that, he's going to justify the existence of the don't say gay bill by invoking critical race theory. Now, is he going to point out that critical race theory is a manufactured bullshit culture war issue that the GOP used to gain support? Uh, no, he's going to say, well, because liberals are so disingenuous when it comes to CRT and because the right wingers have a point here, maybe it's also the case that they have a point when it comes to this don't say gay bill. So let's take a look.
2: I'm glad somebody asked this. Is Florida's don't say gay bill designed to trap Democrats into saying they support teaching young children about sexuality is the question, but we can Broaden that to anything about that. I mean, I was reading about it today. It's, uh, it's. I mean, if people don't know, this is something dissent. is about to sign, yeah. and I guess it's a reaction to Republicans who feel that there's too much talk in lower grades. I think it's only they're talking about kindergarten to third grade. So right, we're talking about yeah. very young kids, who you know, as always with this stuff, you know, there's, there's not like there's no kernel of truth in that. Maybe kids that young shouldn't be thinking about sex at all. I, I don't think it's specific, I think don't say it. It's not like you're not allowed to literally not say gay. But they, they just don't want teachers talking about it They think it's the province of parents. What do you think?
3: What do
4: you think, Frank? I'm curious.
3: I mean, that sounds reasonable on the face of it. I mean, I'm, right. not, I'm not, my main concern as a gay man who advocates for gay rights is not that second graders know who Harvey Milk is that is not the key uh, that is not the key to lgbtq <laughs> equality but but i mean I, I also question i mean is this really need to be at the top of these politicians list right. <laughs> i mean this is a total it's this is no it's a wedge this, this is this is this is not this is not going to improve floridians lives this is not an urgent problem this is a dodge it's another culture war that's meant to score cheap easy points rather than really solving americans problems that's yeah. what I'm...
0: well I
1: don't know if this bi- I read the we, bill also. But, but
3: seriously, do we know that this was an enormous problem, no, pervasive but, in Florida schools? No, but like, the, this This, is what this I, reeks to me of something that happened on a few occasions and has been blown into Well,
2: the, I, I, I don't, I no,
3: don't know I about mean, that. But, but, I, the same thing with the race, with the CRT thing. Yeah. I, I feel like it's, it's disingenuous
2: when the liberals say, you know, the, 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 we just want to teach history. Right. And like, no one's against that. Well, I, I'm sure there are some fucking rednecks who are against that. But most reasonable people are not against realistically teaching history. It's not like you can't mention slavery. They're talking about something else that is going on i've read too many reports too many first person reports from teachers who say i can't go on teaching like this because this is insanity what i'm doing in this classroom separating kids by race and oppressors and non-oppressors and their little kids it is going on i don't know what is going on with the gender as much let me read what something what part of the bill it says the measure would this is from cnn would require districts to adopt procedures for notifying a student's parent if there is a change in the student's services or monitoring related to the student's mental, emotional, physical, health, or well being. Okay, then it says something LGBTQ advocates argue could lead to some students being outed to their parents. That phrase struck me as odd. Like, outed to parents? Like, shouldn't parents know everything Anyway, the, the, yeah, the concept
3: yeah. of, <laughs> without- yeah, that, that, that I think that, um, but I think that fell out of the bill. I think that's actually no, no it's that, well, yeah. the one that I read yeah. right
1: before the show was that the vast majority of the bill is about that, is about parents' right to know if their child is identifying, changing the way that they're you know, presenting, if the teacher's right, calling them I, my I, different th- name, this kind of thing. I which... think
2: in California, it's, the school has more of those rights than the parent.
0: I mean, he literally just sounds like a Fox News host. If you took what he said there and told me it was a quote from Sean Hannity or Laura Ingram, I wouldn't question it because he just sounds like a Fox News host at this point. It's uh, astonishing that he still maintains that he hasn't shifted to the right, that he's not a conservative. And he's still saying this. There's an update. So we'll talk about that later on. But let's address the bill itself. So, um, he claims that, you know, the prospect of children being outing uh, outed because of this bill is, uh, you know, not necessarily a bad thing because when we're talking about kids that young, ages kindergarten through third grade, of course, the parents should know everything. And in theory, that's true. Of course, you want the teachers to communicate how their child is developing. That makes a lot of sense. But in the context of this homophobic, don't say gay bill, think about the implications of why that could be dangerous you know, if you're in third grade or second grade, you're not going to come out and say, hey, I'm gay. I mean, maybe there are kids who do that, but they're not just going to come out and say, hi, I'm a homosexual. In second grade, I acknowledge this. That's extremely, extremely rare, right? But where it gets dangerous is perhaps the teacher notices that your son isn't really hanging out with his male classmates he's not playing sports in fact he's hanging out more with his female classmates playing with dolls playing house and you know he's acting a little bit effeminate so if you are instructed because of this bill to tell parents about this and that kid has a homophobic parent who then beats his child because he's acting like a sissy or a little bit too effeminate You could potentially endanger children here and the bill is bad because it otherizes same-sex couples if you are a kid who has two mommies or two daddies well then you're not going to be allowed to talk about it if you're a teacher in florida with a same-sex spouse or if you're a transgender person who teaches well then you can be penalized because of this bill if you happen to mention that so the bill is unnecessary It's discriminatory and it treats gay people as if they are the other and LGBTQ plus people, more broadly speaking, as if they're the other. That's why good people oppose it. But the framing of that question there was actually pretty savvy. Whoever submitted that question to Bill Maher knows more than him because they asked, is Florida's Don't Say Gay Bill designed to trap Democrats into saying they support teaching young children about sexuality? And the answer is yes. There are many reasons to oppose that bill. But people who oppose this bill don't oppose this bill because they believe that when you go to first grade, that's when you should begin teaching kids about homosexuality. Nobody supports that. But that's exactly the framing that the right is using to demonize people against this bill. For example, look at the chirons from a recent airing of Laura Ingram's program on Fox News. Uh, it says liberals are sexually grooming elementary students. And uh, the second one here says Dems happy to run on pro grooming platform. So the idea is if you oppose this bill, it must be because you want to teach children about sex because you want to groom them because you want to date them. They're literally reviving the gays are pedophiles trope. And Bill Maher is In lockstep with them here. He's saying, actually, maybe we shouldn't teach kids about sexuality. Who wants to teach kids about sexuality? Of course, at that age, we shouldn't be teaching kids about sexuality. But that's not what this is about. People are opposed to this. Good people are opposed to this because it's discriminatory and it could lead to unforeseen consequences that hurts potentially gay kids or kids with same-sex parents. It's just ridiculously unnecessary and homophobic. Now, Frank Bruni, the gay guy on the panel, very clearly wasn't prepared to answer this question. He says, my main concern is not that second graders know who Harvey Milk is, but does this really need to be at the top of these politicians' lists? Now, he's right that this is a manufactured culture war issue, right? Uh, But he very clearly wasn't prepared to push back. To be fair to him, I don't think that they were prepared to answer this question. This was something that an audience member had submitted to Bill Maher, so they kind of discussed this on a whim. But nonetheless, uh, Bill Maher, you know that he went wrong here when he invoked critical race theory. So he claimed that liberals are disingenuous when they say that, you know, we just want to teach history, not critical race theory. But then he invokes that anecdote that is popularly referred to when people talk about critical race theory, you know, uh, how teachers are forcing, uh, students to line up or, or, uh, differentiate between oppressors and, uh, the privilege, yada, yada, yada. Except everybody thinks that that's stupid, right? That's an anecdote. Is this really a widespread phenomenon that's happening across the country? And you see, the actual architect of this manufactured controversy, critical race theory, Christopher Rufo, he already admitted that the goal is to paint any and everything. As critical race theory and make anything that they want to be toxic linked to critical race theory because that is a good political technique to use. And he's kind of proven the efficacy of this strategy. So it is the case that conservatives are essentially equating history with critical race theory because critical race theory is not being taught to children. This is a legal theory that is taught at the postgraduate level. I didn't encounter critical race theory until I was in a PhD program. So we're not teaching kids about this. If kids are having to uh, select who's oppressed and who isn't, that's not critical race theory. That's just the teacher who is stupid, teaching a dumb lesson that's not going to teach kids anything. But nobody's saying that that's good. What we're saying is that that one anecdote does not mean that this is a widespread occurrence. And it's a little bit unnecessary and hysterical to create an entire manufactured outrage movement over a couple of anecdotes. And see, this is the way that conservatives bait normal people into supporting their dumb fucking wedge issues. They'll say, oh, well, look at this one example of this teacher who um, said this or did this. So therefore, we need a whole outrage movement over this. This is how they keep normal people to vote against their own self-interest. This is how they keep conservatives um, in their corner. And of course, Bill Maher, like the conservative that he is, took their bait hook, line, and sinker. You can condemn anecdotes, but to suggest that because of one or two anecdotes, there's an entire trend going on, well, that's conservative reactionary thinking, Bill Maher. But I mean, Bill Maher, he recently talked about whether or not he's actually conservative. So he appeared on the Ben Shapiro show. Now, just stop for a moment and think about that. He's not going on the Brian Tyler Cohen show. He's not going on TYT. He's not going on a Hassan stream. He's going on the Ben Shapiro show for an hour plus long interview because that's where he feels the most comfortable. And he's going to talk about whether or not he really is conservative now. And he's going to insist that he still hasn't changed, even though we just saw him argue in favor of the homophobic, don't say gay bill. Take a look. Look, I haven't
2: changed at all. My politics hasn't changed, they've changed. People say to me sometimes, you know, have you changed? No, it's it's that five years ago, no one was talking about defunding the police. I never heard that phrase five years ago. That's not me changing, that's things changing. I'm reacting to it, as I've always been. Um, You know, letting three-year-olds decide what gender they are. This wasn't something five years ago. Free speech. You know, used to be a, a left wing thing that we were proud and owned. And now that seems to be under attack. So, again, I am i think I've stayed the same.
0: So the examples that he uses are incredibly stupid. It's uh, it's something that you would expect a simpleton to say, not a seasoned political pundit. He says uh, defund the police is new. A new political slogan popped up. I guess that's evidence that the left has shifted even further to the left and that Democrats have shifted to the left, except do you just not like the slogan? Do you think there's any merit to the claim that police departments have incredibly bloated budgets and maybe they shouldn't have giant budgets with military gear? I I mean, do you think that that's just something that people are bringing up because they don't want there to be police? you have to really go a little bit further when you're talking about why you have an issue with this. But notice how there's no nuance here. He says, uh, letting three-year-olds decide what gender they are. this This wasn't something five years ago. I don't even know what that means. What does that mean? Is this a common phenomenon where we are allowing children at the age of three to transition? We're giving them hormone replacement theory, sex changes. What do you mean by that? Because I don't know what he means by that. Does this mean that You know, um, if you see a child play with uh, girl toys, if your son is playing with Barbies, you slap him and you tell him that he's a fag. Does that mean that you're not letting your child transition or if you know, you are letting your son play with Barbies or girl toys, does that mean you're letting him be transgender? What do you mean, Bill? And see, he never explains any of this because all of it is reactionary garbage. He's not going to dive into the details and talk about the substance here because there is no substance or merit to what he's saying here. He also says free speech used to be a left-wing thing and now it's under attack. How? You just defended the don't say gay, Bill. Isn't that a little bit censorious? No? Uh, but he's saying this to somebody like Ben Shapiro and I'm assuming that he's paying credence to the claim that on social media, right-wingers are being silenced, whereas if you looked up the daily top tens for Facebook, the person who he's talking to, Ben Shapiro, dominates on a daily fucking basis. So. Again, there's no merit to that, and even if big tech is censoring conservative voices, which they are not, but even if they were, that isn't a First Amendment issue. That's an issue of how do we regulate big tech? Should we treat them as public utility? Should we nationalize them? Everything he's saying is conservative right-wing talking points, but he simultaneously will deny that he's conservative. No, I haven't changed. Everyone else has changed. It's the left really has gotten a little bit too extreme. Now, he says this within the same week of right-wingers in Florida passing a bill to form election police where Texas is investigating parents with trans teenagers as child abusers. I mean, the right has become so authoritarian that in some states, they're passing bills that allow them to subvert the will of voters. So if they see an election go the way that they don't like, they can send their own electors, rogue electors to the electoral college to overturn the will of the people. So as the right gets more and more authoritarian, more conspiratorial, more anti-vax, Bill Maher says actually it's the left. They're the ones who've gotten more extreme, not the right in this country. But yet, I haven't changed. I'm not more conservative. I might parrot all of their talking points, but it's not me, it's you. No, Bill. Denying isn't going to change the fact that you're just a standard conservative now. See, he used to be more economically conservative, but socially liberal. But as time has gone on, he's just socially conservative now too. And he could prove me wrong by denouncing these culture war issues where the GOP tries to otherize and discriminate against LGBTQ plus people, but he's not doing that because he agrees with them. So he can try to deny that he is a conservative at this point, but it's just getting comical. I mean, imagine being so narcissistic to think that you haven't changed ideologically. Literally everyone else in the country has changed. Imagine thinking that. Imagine being that arrogant. So, Bill Maher is delusional and uh, he's also a conservative. Those two things kind of go hand in hand. So, Bill, you can pretend all you want that you're still a center-left liberal, but you've changed, not everyone else. So, we are learning more and more about Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas's wife, Ginny Thomas, and every time we learn more about her, it's frightening because this is the spouse of a Supreme Court justice, Justice Clarence Thomas, serves on the highest court of the land. And his wife is a 2020 election truther. Now, there was a recent report about how she is on the board of organizations that are affiliated with the organizers of the January 6th Stop the Steal rally. Now, in an interview with the Washington Free Beacon, she's going to deny these connections, but she's going to admit that she attended the Stop the Steal rally. Now, why she admitted this, I don't know, because I, being the spouse of a Supreme Court Justice, wouldn't want to admit that I'm palling around with insurrectionists and people who are trying to overturn the will of the people, but nonetheless, she just casually admits this in the interview because I think that she believes this is somehow going to make her look better because she's being honest and she's saying, well, I was there, but I'm not connected to the organizers. But If anything, this makes her look worse. So as HuffPost explains, Ginny Thomas told the Washington Free Beacon that she attended the rally in the morning but left because she was cold before Donald Trump addressed the crowd and urged his supporters to march to the Capitol. Convenient. I played no role with those who were planning and leading the January 6th events, Thomas told the conservative news outlet. Sure. There are stories in the press suggesting I paid or arranged for buses. I did not. There are other stories saying I mediated feuding factions of leaders for that day. I did not. Thomas added that she was saddened to see the scenes of protesters clashing with police and storming the Capitol. I was disappointed and frustrated that there was violence that happened following a peaceful gathering of Trump supporters on the ellipse of January 6th, Thomas said in the interview. There are important and legitimate substantive questions about achieving goals like electoral integrity, racial equality, and political accountability that a democratic system like ours needs to be able to discuss and debate rationally in the political square. I fear we are losing that that ability. Oh, do you now? Well, it's a good thing that your husband's in a position of power, we can actually influence that, which is something that we should definitely talk about. So, let's just stop for a moment and consider the implications of this. She was at Stop the Steal. So, this means either A, she's dumb because she actually believes that the election was stolen from Donald Trump when there's zero evidence to support this, or B, she knows the election was not stolen, but she was there because she wanted democracy To be overturned. She wanted to subvert the will of the people and stop the certification of this election. So, which is it? And the more important question is, how much does Clarence Thomas agree with her? Because they're married. I don't know about you, but my spouse and I, we have virtually identical political beliefs. I couldn't be with someone if I'm that involved in politics. If I'm on the Supreme Court, I definitely couldn't be with anyone who had, you know, different views that are that extreme, right? I mean, it's a possibility that Clarence Thomas doesn't believe the election was stolen and he disagrees with the Stop the Steal rally and Trump's lies. But is it likely that he agrees with his wife? Yeah, I'd say reasonable people would deduce that it's very likely that him and his wife are in lockstep on this issue, which means that there's a real likelihood that a Supreme Court justice, a sitting Supreme Court justice with a lifetime appointment is against democracy that's horrifying to think about right and you uh, might think well what do we do about this this is a conflict of interest his wife's political activity and his political beliefs makes him unfit so should he resign sure but will he no okay well then let's impeach him how do we do that well it's virtually impossible to get that accomplished so you know we have a potential capital insurrectionist a 2020 election truther on the supreme court and there's nothing that we can do about it. He can affect legal precedent in this country for decades with his undemocratic beliefs, and we just have to sit by and uh, accept it. It's, it's horrifying. Now, she is lying about her connections to uh, insurrectionists. So she is a board member of CNP. This is the Council for National Policy. And this organization literally followed Trump's lead here and they directed their members in Arizona, Georgia, and Pennsylvania to pressure lawmakers to overturn the elections in their states, right? Challenge these election results. This is an organization that she's a board member of, the wife of a Supreme Court justice. Now, she also claims that there was this allegation that she was funding bus rides there, but what she's referring to Is the report that since she is a member, or was a member at the very least, of Turning Point's action, who Charlie Kirk admitted they sent bus rides to get people to the Capitol, that there's that connection there, right? Perhaps she wasn't directly involved. Maybe the reports about her directly trying to bring together feuding factions of the Stop the Steal movement is uh, overblown. Either way, the connection there is very real and very worrying. This is someone who is the wife of a Supreme Court justice. And let me just put something out there. This is not the most unhinged things that that she's done. I mean, with respect to democracy, it's certainly out there, right? But this is somebody who hired someone who Turning Point USA thought was too racist. So do you remember the story about Crystal Clanton who was fired from Turning Point USA because she texted someone saying that she hates all black people? Well, Ginny Thomas, wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, decided to hire that person. Now, if we want to be extra charitable, maybe she was thinking, look, I can fix her. Let me hire her and change her mind. But most people instinctively would think, wow, I don't want to be associated with them. And her husband is black, so it seems weird that she would hire someone who admitted that they hate black people. Wouldn't you not want to associate with people like that? Wouldn't you not want to give them a job? This is somebody who is a psychopath. Uh, she's a political extremist at a minimum, but psychopathic at worst. And she has influence over Clarence Thomas, and given that they're married, it's reasonable to assume that their views are pretty similar. Again, me and my spouse's views are virtually identical ideologically, and I think that's probably the way that it is for most spouse uh, spouses. Uh, I mean, I'm sure that you have some instances where there's disagreements here and there, But when it comes to major disagreements about democracy itself and whether you do or don't believe in democracy, I think that you're not going to be able to reconcile those differences. So odds are, whatever she believes, Clarence Thomas holds those same views. And we have evidence to suggest he's an extremist because we have decades worth of rulings from him where he's a reactionary and an extremist to his core. So the fact that a Supreme Court justice with a lifetime appointment Virtually no way of getting him off that court unless he chooses on his own volition to retire is a 2020 election truther, is horrifying. I don't know what this means for the future of democracy in the United States, but it's certainly something that people should be concerned with because when you have somebody this close to extreme power, like a Supreme Court justice, who's influencing him at a minimum, but worse, probably has the same views as him. I mean, it's it's crazy, and maybe this is a bit of a jump, but I think that whatever she believes, Clarence Thomas probably believes too. So, you know, we're dealing with the prospect of a sitting Supreme Court justice possibly wanting the election to be overturned because he's against democracy. He's in favor of a pro-Trump dictatorship. I mean, this is someone who should have no say determining the constitutionality of laws, but here we are in the United States where a potential insurrectionist or somebody who's at a minimum... You know uh, sympathetic to insurrectionists is on the highest court in the land wow i've got to say we are living in the weirdest timeline ever and i feel like this article headline that i'm about to read to you is evidence that we are in fact living in a simulation so newsweek reports jk rowling and youtuber vosh spar over international women's day tweet Yes, you heard that correctly. This is real. This is a Newsweek article about a Twitter fight between J.K. Rowling and Vosh. Now, uh, I've got to say, having read through this article already and seeing this exchange happen in real time, Vosh low-key destroyed uh, J.K. Rowling. And I don't usually like saying destroy, but he got her to say something so stupid she thought that she would kind of own him by screenshotting something that he said in response. But she made herself look so unreasonable here. So let's read a little bit of the article and then we'll get into the back and forth and I'll tell you my thoughts on it. Matt Keeley of Newsweek explains on Tuesday, Rowling shared a tweet that some users found transphobic. That day, the UK's left-wing Labour Party's Equality Shadow Minister Annalise Dodds said on the BBC Women's Hour radio program that there were different definitions about what makes a woman. Dodds was speaking in a discussion about Scotland's gender recognition reform bill, which would make it easier for transgender people to change their legal gender. Someone please send the shadow minister for equalities a dictionary and a backbone. Hashtag Happy International Women's Day," Rowling tweeted. Apparently, under a Labor government, today will become We Who Must Not Be Named Day," she added. In response, popular left-wing YouTube personality Ian Vosh Koczynski slammed the writer Tuesday afternoon. All J.K. Rowling had to do was shut the fuck up and she could have been almost uncritically beloved for like a century, Vosh wrote. Women be quieter and start apologizing challenge. Now, he's very obviously being facetious. Vosh sometimes memes a little bit too close to the sun, but that's why we all love him. He's very edgy and he's entertaining. Um, So he explained later on and during that stream that... He actually didn't expect her to see this, obviously, because she is incredibly famous. Uh, like a lot of YouTubers, Vosh posts into what you think is the ether, and he explained that. He didn't think she'd see this tweet. I oftentimes will just Tweeted politicians, almost never expect them to see it. For example, uh, not too long ago, I think like a couple of weeks ago, I tweeted about how Rick Scott looks eerily similar to a Titan, but I didn't actually expect him to see that and respond. And, you know, sometimes celebrities will see our responses and they'll block us. I've been blocked by Patricia Arquette, Megan McCain, uh, Neera Tandon. There's also some country star. He blocked me. I have never even heard of him. Uh, So, you know, oftentimes, they'll see us and then they'll just block us. Rarely do they ever engage, but in this instance, J.K. Rowling actually chose to engage, and I really shouldn't say engage, but she tried to do a gotcha of Vosh, and she ends up saying something so stupid, I think that she has to feel embarrassed, right? If this were me, I would delete my Twitter. She compared what Vosh said to her abusive ex-husband. So she screenshotted what he said and she responded by saying, What you and your ilk fail to appreciate is how tediously familiar I find your tactics. I had a violent ex-husband who used to tell me life would be great if only I'd comply, but you're making the same mistake he did. Women like me can't be bullied out of resistance. Right, but in this situation, you're the bully, you're the abuser who's trying to silence trans people into compliance you're your husband in this scenario. But yet, she's trying to compare Vosh, who's sticking up for trans people, who she's attacking, to her violent ex-husband. You're the one Who's the abuser here? Now, Vosh responded by low-key bodying her. He said, Listen, Joanne, you don't get to play the victim card when you're the advocate for taking away women's rights here. Trans women are raped and killed in men's facilities and you want to keep them there because of your trauma. Quit making your feelings other people's oppression. He added, Complaining about how victimized you are when you're a billionaire being mocked for opposing civil rights is the height of cry-bullying. And he absolutely nailed it. I mean, it's so ironic that she would compare vosh to her ex-husband who's an abuser when vosh is sticking up to trans people who she currently is abusing she's using her gigantic platform millions of followers to advocate against trans rights and you know she's not the victim here as vosh pointed out she is worth hundreds of millions of dollars she might actually be a billionaire i don't know how much her net net worth is currently but i mean this is someone in a position of power so advantageous that most human beings on this planet will not experience her level of privilege but here she is pretending as if she's this victim and she's getting bullied by Vosh on Twitter. No, you said something stupid and people are sticking up for trans rights because that's what good people do. You're the bad person, you're the abuser here. Now, Vosh reacted to all of this in real time during his 24-hour charity stream for Ukraine, uh, and, and here's his immediate reaction when he responded. How does it feel to be living in the timeline where JK Rowling compares you to her ex-husband? I gotta say, I have absolutely no
1: respect for people who allow their trauma to become other people's problems. JK Rowling has been doing this for like two years now, where it's like, well... I- I may want to take away
0: people's civil rights, but... When the people are mean to me in response, that reminds me of my abusive ex- I don't give a Yeah, just go to therapy, lady. Yeah. So there you have it. Uh, I tuned in. He talked about this a little bit more. He found out that Newsweek wrote an article about this while he was trying to beat Margit. It's the first boss in Elden Ring. Uh, Great game, by the way. That was a very entertaining stream. Um, But yeah, it's just, it's so weird to see JK Rowling, one of the most powerful people, one of the richest people on the planet respond to a YouTuber. Because I mean, I'm also a YouTuber. So, you know, oftentimes, We will say things that we never expect people in power to see, but in this instance, it's so strange that J.K. Rowling chose to respond, and the way that she responded to Vosh was so unhinged, so weird, that it almost feels surreal. Like, it's difficult to actually believe that this is reality. She not only responded to Vosh, but she had the audacity to compare him to her violent ex-husband. Shut the fuck up, J.K. Rowling. You are what you used to hate. You are the abuser you once denounced. Sorry, but it's true. The way that you constantly demonize and vilify trans people who are fighting for their lives currently and their rights, it's despicable. It's abusive. It's violence. And you should be ashamed of yourself. But she has no shame and she's going to continue to double and triple and quadruple down because she feels as if, I don't know, she's backed into a corner and she... You know, there's no way out of this, so she just has to prove her point. But unfortunately for you, history is not going to go in your direction. We're going to go in the direction of justice. So shut the fuck up and stop attacking trans people and people won't respond to you. But if you are going to say things about trans people, be unnecessarily antagonistic. We know how you feel. You hate trans people, we get it. But if you're going to take to Twitter to express your thoughts, your idiotic thoughts on trans people, then expect backlash. Well, it's been a while since we've checked in on our good friend, Dave Rubin, and, um, he doesn't seem to be doing that well. So he is doing comedy again, and some of you might be wondering, again, when was he ever doing comedy? Apparently Dave Rubin is a comedian, I'm not sure if he still identifies as a comedian, I would probably push back against that claim, but he used to do stand-up and the old clips of his stand-up, we've talked about it before, were not good. They were pretty cringeworthy but he's doing comedy again and on his program for whatever reason he decided to do a parody of the view in full drag and just a forewarning this is one of the most cringeworthy things i've ever watched in my entire life and i get that the word cringe is overused uh, but this is quintessential cringe it's painful to watch so we'll watch his parody And then we'll talk about what he is trying to parody in the first place take a look
4: what are you two crazy bitches talking about what are you talking about you want to arrest people who are different than you politically tulsi gabbard she's a member of our military she's a former congresswoman a democrat you just don't like her so you want to arrest her you want to arrest tucker carlson the very dapper tucker carlson I, what are you saying? You you guys are nuts. You're you're just nuts. I only agreed to do this show because I thought that Whoopi, Whoopi was sane. She was good. Sister Act. Sister Act 2. Anna's just nuts. I don't even know what she's doing here. The other one's a racist. And, the, and the, there's the drunk one. I, what, what, is, what are we all doing here? Uh, you people are everything that you've come to hate. You know that? Uh, why am I here?
0: I need a haircut. Oh, okay, uh, it's so <laughs> It's so painful. It literally sent shivers down my spine. It's so bad. Oh, Dave, what were you thinking? Oh, my God. Oh, it hurts. The level of secondhand embarrassment that I feel. Oh, it honestly is almost... Nauseating, oh Dave, 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 stop, oh my god I, I I don't even know how to react to that. it It kind of threw me off a little bit. Oh, just painfully cringeworthy. holy fucking shit. Dave, stop. It's time to reevaluate your life and start asking yourself, is this really the person who I want to be? Now, the ironic thing about that clip is he's kind of making a point that isn't insane. He's just making probably a more reasonable point, comparatively speaking, to what he usually says. Um, but he's doing it in the most cringeworthy way imaginable. So he's talking about The View discussing Tucker Carlson and and, and uh, Tulsi Gabbard and how they may be Russian assets and perhaps we should have the DOJ investigate them. Not necessarily something that uh, I think that We should be advocating for openly as American citizens. I get that during times of war, people are up in arms, you know, they're emotional, but we have to uphold civil liberties. We can't resort to some new wave of McCarthyism. We have to respect the First Amendment. And as Justin Barragona of The Daily Beast put it in response to The View saying that we should investigate Carlson and Gabbard, we are really drifting into scary and dangerous territory here. And I agree with him here. He is no fan of Tulsi Gabbard or Tucker Carlson, neither am I. But to suggest that we should investigate Americans for saying what they said, I think that absolutely is a bridge too far. Um, We have the First Amendment in this country for a reason, and as much as you dislike what Tucker Carlson and Tulsi Gabbard says here, that doesn't mean that legally they should be prosecuted or penalized or investigated. We don't need McCarthy witch hunts. Uh, in 2022, absolutely a horrible idea. So I understand the reason for Dave Rubin to kind of have this vis visceral response to what the view said here, but he did it in the most idiotic way imaginable. He actually could have made a cogent point had he chosen to, to respond like an adult. But instead, he did a parody where he dressed in drag and tried to do comedy, and it just it didn't work out very well for him. But let's explore what The View said here, because I do think this is an important conversation. So, Tucker Carlson and Tulsi Gabbard, they have been basically parroting disinformation from the Kremlin. They're using pro-Putin talking points. Now, I'm not going to ascribe motive to them. I'm just going to tell you that they're parroting what— the Kremlin wants them to parrot. Now, as Justin Baragona explains, in recent days, both Gabbard and Carlson have been proponents of the theory that the United States is developing dangerous bioweapons in Ukraine, a centerpiece of a Kremlin disinformation campaign to justify the invasion of its neighbor and potentially blame a Russian chemical weapons attack on a false flag operation. Clips of the ex-lawmaker on Carlson show discussing bioweapons in Ukraine have been showcased across Russian state media alongside the Fox News hosts, saying Russian disinformation is true. Furthermore, it was reported 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 this weekend that Moscow has pushed the state-controlled press to promote Carlson as much as possible because he sharply criticizes the actions of the United States and NATO. Now the bioweapons claim is Russian state disinformation as the article explains there, and it has been thoroughly debunked, and either wittingly or unwittingly, I mean, Tulsi Gabbard and Tucker Carlson are spreading talking points from the Kremlin. Now, that's bad, and I think that they should be condemned for doing that because they're aiding and abetting Putin here, at least rhetorically, and that's disgusting and egregious. Uh, But Having said that, though, what The View recommends here is also disgusting and egregious. Two wrongs don't make a right, and then them saying something is egregious, but saying that they should be penalized legally for saying egregious things like that is also pretty gross. So take a look at what The View said. For
1: me, the question is, what is in it for someone like Tucker Carlson, right? I mean... Is it, is it money it has who's to paying be. him that money? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not making any allegations, but it's just, it doesn't make sense that he would do this kind of thing. I mean, he, he also says that the United States helped encourage the Russian invasion. He said the United States engineered a coup in Ukraine in the name of democracy. He, as we just mentioned, confirmed these Russian claims about bioweapons. Um, and he's characterizing this situation as a border dispute. Right? And, and so, what is in it for him? I know that he's visited Moscow and other places, and you can tell me in my ear if I'm wrong about that, but I, I just don't understand what the uh, impetus is. I hope he's, I pl- he's, plan-
4: I hope he's <laughs> planning to move to Moscow <laughs> because uh, he's not going to be welcome here for much longer. I think. Um, do his viewers like it? Do it do, do, I, I don't I know. Mean, I mean, I don't, Americans don't think the ratings support. have dropped at all. And look, that- I, I. but I think that's an incredibly relevant question. Yeah. And I think DOJ, in the same way that it is uh, setting up a task force to investigate oligarchs should look into people who are Russian propagandists and shilling for Putin. That's being, if you are a foreign asset uh, to a dictator, mm-hmm. it should be investigated. In fact, I remember when Tulsi Gabbard, mm-hmm. and I even hate that we're discussing it because I think to myself, who is this one? She's a, you know, she's no longer in Congress. She's a failed presidential candidate. Yep. She only pra- practically exists on Twitter. And the fact that we're giving her oxygen is what makes her relevant, that we're talking about about her on hot topics. But on the other hand, how do you not call out something that is repeating Mm -hmm. false Russian propaganda that has been brought down? They used to arrest people for doing stuff like this. If they thought you were uh, colluding with a Russian agent, if they thought you were putting out information or taking information and handing over to Russia, they used to actually investigate stuff like this and I guess now, you know, there seems to be no bars and people are not being told to hate Putin. Putin doesn't need a reason to be hated. It's pretty much clear.
0: So I'm going to say it again. You can condemn Gabbard and Carlson as I do, because these are terrible people with opportunistic, nefarious motives. But I don't think that we should just openly support this idea of prosecuting people because of things that they say. I think that even if they say things that are incredibly egregious, calling on the DOJ to investigate them on national television saying we used to arrest people for saying things like this as if that's a good thing. That's that's not a good thing. Again, during times of war, I get that emotions are high and it's easy to, you know, think, wow, these people are pushing uh, this, this propaganda that's so harmful, so maybe we should take away civil liberties. I, I get people have the instinct to do that, but you have to fight against that instinct because during times of war, it's kind of like a stress test on our civil liberties, and we have to uphold civil civil liberties and the First Amendment. So, I don't agree with them. I think that that's that's awful. But I also don't agree with Tucker Carlson and Tulsi Gabbard. What they're doing here, for whatever reason, is, is sickening, but they shouldn't be prosecuted for saying it. Again, we don't need to turn this situation into a new wave of McCarthyist witch hunts. I think that that would be horrible because we saw the way that it turned out before during the Cold War, and we don't want to reignite that hysteria, right? We can condemn people like Tucker Carlson and Tulsi Gabbard without calling on them to be penalized legally. I think that that's the responsible thing to do, especially if you have a really large platform like the ladies on The the View have. Now, in terms of what the motives are of Tulsi Gabbard and Tucker Carlson, I think that when it comes to Tulsi Gabbard, she just parrots what she hears from people who are popular, like Tucker Carlson. He's saying this, so maybe she's saying it in response. I don't know who said it first, really, to be honest. So I think that she just kind of parrots what she hears in her circles. Tucker Carlson, I have no idea, but I think that the theory that is most persuasive to me is that, like a lot of white nationalist far right Americans, he subscribes to the philosophy of Alexander Dugin, who is a Russian philosopher who is a theocratic fascist. And a lot of far right people in America, like Steve Bannon, for example, have taken a liking to him and they follow Dugin uh, and they subscribe to Duganism. And the Young Turks did a really great video explaining this, so I won't get into that here. But Tucker Carlson has quoted Dugan on his show before, not necessarily. Um, In a positive light, he tried to make it seem more neutral, right? This is something that the uh, Russian military reads, and it's better than what we read here in the United States and what our military reads. So that's my theory. I think that perhaps, you know, uh, Tucker Carlson is more sympathetic to the Russian War of Aggression because perhaps he subscribes to Duganism. I'm not really sure, but what he's saying is absolutely disgusting. And, you know, like it or not, he's shilling for the Kremlin. He may not want to admit that, but unwittingly or wittingly, he's doing the bidding of the Russian state disinformation machine, and that's that's pretty gross and it needs to be condemned. But at the same time, I don't think that he should be arrested for that. If we start being overly skeptical of people because we fear that they may be shilling for Russia or on the payroll of Russia, that's when you also get into a different sort of dangerous territory, right? I mean, with 9-11, civil liberties were destroyed right? George W. Bush signed the Patriot Act into law, and we never got those civil liberties back that we lost. The American people were scared, and they thought that the government needed more authority. And we now know that the government used their power that they got from the Patriot Act to do warrantless surveillance on American citizens. So we have to be really cautious. Even if you're scared, you shouldn't call for people to be investigated because you are suspicious of them because they say something bad. You can condemn them for saying bad things without calling for legal prosecution. It's really important that we uphold the First Amendment. And, you know, that's kind of, I think, the point that Dave Rubin was making here. But Dave Rubin gets no credit because Dave Rubin is a hypocrite. He likes to pretend as if he supports freedom of speech. But when it comes to BDS, he's silent. When it comes to instances where left-wingers are being censored unnecessarily so, he's silent. So he is a hypocrite. Having said that, though, to be fair to him, the point that he's making here or trying to make, I think, is uh, at least, more valid than other points that he's made, but for some reason, he chose to do a parody and make a fool of himself rather than just being an adult and making a valid point. Ultimately, the parody, Dave, it's bad and you should delete it from the internet if possible. I think that once that's out there, you're not really going to put the cat back in the bag. I mean, I'm re-uploading it, so I'm not going to take that down, but just learn from this experience don't do comedy, Dave. You're not a comedian. You might think that you're a comedian. You're not a comedian. It's cringeworthy. It's damaging to yourself more so than uh, you've already done. It just, oh, I'm thinking about the parodies, honestly, really just making me disassociate. I i wish I didn't see it. And you're probably gonna be mad at me for showing it to you, viewers, but I'm i am so, so sorry. I, I had to share it with you. But um, yeah, let's not start a new wave of McCarthyism. Let's condemn people who are, useful idiots for Russian disinformation. And let's also all agree that Dave Rubin should not be doing comedy. Maybe take back everything that I said about protecting the First Amendment and maybe have the DOJ actually investigate Dave Rubin for doing that. That's that's free speech that none of us can get behind. I'm kidding, of course, but that was bad. Holy shit. So I have long maintained that whenever we see bipartisan support for a particular piece of legislation in Congress, that usually means that we should be worried because both Democrats and Republicans are teaming up to probably screw over the American people. And I'm skeptical because whenever we actually see both parties agree on something, usually they are expanding our already bloated military budget or agreeing on more austerity. So it's usually bad, but in this instance, we see a bill with bipartisan support so universal that the Senate passed it unanimously. So you've got to think, how bad is it, right? It's actually not bad. In fact, most people would agree that it's good. It's popular and there are some benefits with regard to mental health. Shocking, right? Not even a single holdout? Well, what is it? Well, it's the Sunshine Protection Act. And as Alexander Bolton of The Hill explains, the Senate on Tuesday approved a proposal to make daylight saving time permanent, which if passed in the House and signed by President Biden would mean Americans would never again have to set their clocks back an hour and lose an hour of afternoon daylight in the fall and winter. If enacted into law, it would also mean that early risers lose an hour of daylight in the mornings in November, December, January and February. Now, what's shocking to me is that there wasn't a single holdout. Even Mitch McConnell supported this. You'd think that he'd be opposed to this just to suck more life out of the American people, just to be mean. But he supports this, too. Um, Now, immediately after this passed, it started to trend on Twitter because people were shocked that something like this that's popular would get passed because our Congress is functionally incapable of doing anything. So the fact that they did this with universal support Um, it's honestly weird to see. Now, a poll conducted by The Economist and YouGov found that two-thirds of Americans prefer to not have to change the clocks twice a year, and specifically, they want the extra hour of daylight in the evenings, or permanent spring-forward mode. Now, aside from the fact that this is incredibly popular, there's also a lot of health benefits, as I alluded to at the beginning of this video. Now, this is all laid out in an article for CNN co-written by Ed Marquis and Marco Rubio. Yes, that Ed Marquis and that Marco Rubio. This is weird. It feels weird wrong, almost. But here's what they say. The effects of darker afternoons on our mental and physical health can be serious. The biannual transition of spring forward and fall back disrupts circadian sleeping patterns, causing confusion, sleep disturbances, and even an elevated risk to heart health. The rate of heart attacks spikes by 24% in the days following spring forward in March, according to a 2014 study from the University of Michigan. Another study published in 2016 found stroke rates may also increase by 8% year-round daylight saving time could also decrease the likelihood of fatal car accidents which jumped 6% in the days following the time change according to a 2020 study from the university of colorado a stolen evening sunlight can also negatively impact mental health a danish study found that hospitals seen 11% uptick in patients with symptoms of depression immediately following the switch from sunnier daylight saving time to the darker standard time in the fall by making our days brighter year-round we can also permanently speed up the clock on c seasonal depression triggered by the dark days of winter. Okay, so it sounds good. I actually did not know all of this, but it seems reasonable. I, for one, do experience seasonal depression, typically around the time where we have to set the clocks back and it gets darker earlier. Um, It just, it feels really dreadful and I hate it, so this all makes sense to me. Uh, now, for all of the benefits, I have to point out that there are potential drawbacks. So a lot of people don't know this, but actually in the 1970s, we did this before. 79% of the American people wanted permanent daylight savings time. But guess what? After they did it, support for that dropped by 37 points. Why? Well, because pre-sunrise fatalities actually increased by 2% particularly for school-aged children who were hit by cars, and it was just more dangerous for them to go to school while it was still dark. And this actually prompted some schools to delay start times until the sun came up just because they thought that it was so dangerous. Now, if you want to read the full story about this, I'll link you to a Washingtonian article, which is really interesting, and I don't think a lot of people actually know about this. So we've been here before where everybody wanted permanent daylight savings times. They did it and then everybody said, no, 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 change it back. We don't like it. Um, So will this happen again? Who knows? But I mean, it's kind of a balance, right? There are drawbacks to having to set the time back, uh, spring forward fall back, I mean, the seasonal depression and whatnot, but there's also some potential downsides to this as well, so it's important to keep that in mind. Uh, I, for one, um, you know, I, I, I think I support this overall, hopefully The situation wouldn't be as disastrous as it was the first time when we changed this back, but let's go to the internet to get some reactions because this was trending. So, looking at the trending page, uh, I think that the responses here were pretty uh, humorous. Mark Burns asks rhetorically, but who will enforce the Sunshine Protection Act? Well, of course, Mario, who else? Karen says, I don't need the Sunshine Protection Act because I already have all the sunlight I need. Now, she shares a picture of one of the stars from K-Pop Sensation, Monster X. Lindsay says, everyone is so excited for the Sunshine Protection Act. Me, meanwhile, I like darkness. So, I would prefer that this passed. But, um, you know, we'll see. It's just some positive news. And to actually unironically applaud... Republicans and Democrats in the Senate, in the Senate of all places. It feels wrong. It feels like I should feel bad and shame uh, and shame because I'm saying that they did good, but unironically, they did something good. And that's, again, it just feels, I I feel dirty saying it. So, um, yeah. Take from this what you will. We may not have to set the clocks ahead or back ever again. So, I was under the impression that Pat Robertson, longtime host of The 700 Club, had retired. Maybe I dreamt that he did. Either way, he is very much still broadcasting and he is still alive. He's probably age 197 by now. Either way, he's on the air, he's alive, and he is demanding that Biden stop being weak and threaten Putin with nuclear annihilation. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Either way, let's listen to what he has to say and pay close attention to the deranged look in his eyes as he makes this demand.
2: We have the firepower to wipe out every Russian city, just one Trident submarine. And of course, we're not using it and they have no intention of using it. But why doesn't somebody in the administration call Putin's bluff? He's bluffing. And every time he says, well, if you do that, we're going to escalate. Oh, no, you're not, old buddy. We're going to do you. If you try to do us, we'll make it worse. And you know it. Putin knows we're powerful. He doesn't have much of of an army. He doesn't have much of an economy. It's a tiny economy. And he's playing a bluff. But unfortunately, we have a man in charge in Washington who doesn't like to stand up to bluffs. He folds his winning hand every single
0: time. Deranged. Just absolutely batshit fucking insane. And I made a meme for the occasion. We need to threaten Putin with nukes. Sure, Grandpa, let's get you to bed. I mean, this is the uh, Christian broadcast network. And he's threatening nuclear annihilation of an entire country. He says, we have the firepower to wipe out every city in Russia. But do you want to do that? The people in Russia aren't responsible for the actions of their authoritarian governments. But you think that we should threaten to nuke Russia and maybe call Putin's bluff? Look, to be fair, I think it's likely the case that Putin is bluffing because he does know that nuclear war wouldn't go well for him or the United States. I think that, you know, a sane person would acknowledge that. But The theory that he's bluffing isn't necessarily one that I want to test out. Do you want to roll the dice just so you can appear tough? Or do you not want to take any chances and, I don't know, play it safe and not threaten to nuke people? You know, I think that looking weak is a pretty low price to pay compared to nuclear annihilation. It's not just the United States and Russia who would be uh, devastated by nuclear war. It's the entire planet. We're talking about extinction of the human race. And you're just talking about this flippantly as if it's not a big deal. Just threaten him with nuclear annihilation. It's no big deal. Stop being a weenie. What What is wrong with you? What is wrong with Pat Robertson? Who allows this deranged lunatic to still go on the air and spew this nonsense? Who is okaying this? He shouldn't be on the air. He very clearly isn't in the right state of mind. And for all of the warmongering and saber-rattling against Russia that we see from members of the media who constantly call for more escalation or a no-fly zone, which is essentially a declaration of war against Russia, he's just saying, no, threaten to nuke them. No! (laughs) See, I'm glad that Biden is in charge and Biden is resisting calls to escalate tensions. I mean, sure, He's escalated to some extent with sanctions and whatnot, but I'm glad that he's reasonable enough to not just try to call Putin's bluff and threaten nuclear warfare. That's fucking stupid. It's it's loony. Who, who thinks like this? You have to be a psychopath to think like this. If the thought of humanity going extinct due to nuclear annihilation doesn't at least give you pause — I mean, it should scare you if you are a reasonable person. Uh, but if it doesn't at least give you pause to think, wow, that might be bad, I just feel like you're, you're psychopathic or a sociopath. I, I don't know. There's something very off about Pat Robertson. Again, he's like 500 years old and his brain is basically mush at this point. But to demand that Biden threaten to nuke Putin, go fuck yourself, Pat Robertson. Nobody wants to listen to you. Who's listening? I, I honestly want to know how many viewers tune in to uh, The 700 Club at this point. Who, who's watching this shit? Who listens to this and thinks, wow, this sounds like a sane individual. I mean, did you see the crazy look in his eyes? Even if you agree with Pat Robertson, you recognize that crazy ass look and you've got to acknowledge that something is off. There's got to be some sort of instinct in you that gets you to think, okay, this guy, there's something weird about him. He kind of seems psychopathic. He's calling for us to threaten a nuclear nation with nukes. That seems a little bit Uh, I don't know, harsh at a minimum, wouldn't you say? Uh, Either way, Pat Robertson is uh, delusional and, of course, we should always expect him to have the dumbest, most extreme apocalyptic take because that's what he's known for. It's just, I I thought he retired and and we were done with this, but apparently he's not and I expect him to be around for hundreds and hundreds of years continuing to call for nuclear annihilation or an apocalypse in some way, shape or form, assuming humanity doesn't kill themselves in the near future. Alexander Burns and Jonathan Martin of the New York Times co-wrote a book about the Biden administration and in this new book, there are new, albeit unsurprising, details about Kirsten Cinema. and I wanted to talk about this because it's pretty interesting. So Jonathan Martin tweeted out a couple of details about his book and here's what he says here. In private with GOP lobbyists, Cinema praised election denier Andy Biggs. I love Andy Biggs. I know some people think he's crazy, but that's just because they don't know him. We'll revisit this claim later. Uh, cinema at same lobbyist fundraiser, which took place during intense negotiations over Build Back Better, mocked Biden praised mccarthy and sounded like a republican while discussing taxes the gop heavy crowd loved her but her private persona is why the white house says she reminds them of romney cinema senate colleagues also see this quite blunt version of her even if she's an enigma to the public she said to gop colleagues that five to six of her fellow moderate democrats are quote hiding behind my skirt as she pushed back on the left Okay, a couple of points of clarification there. We don't know what she said when she was reportedly mocking Joe Biden, but I mean, this kind of goes to show you that he shouldn't have shown her respect because that very clearly wasn't mutual. So he should have done what many of us on the left recommended and just publicly condemn her and Joe Manchin. But that last paragraph there is really interesting to me because it kind of confirms what a lot of us had speculated, that there are five to six fellow Senate Democrats hiding behind her and also Joe Manchin. This was obvious. I think that when you have corporate Democrats like Chris Coons, Mark Warner, and John Tester, they probably agree almost entirely with Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin. But they just don't want to put themselves out there. They don't want to be the punching bag for the Democratic Party's base. They don't want to take all of the heat. But if they had to, if push came to shove and Biden... Uh, didn't have a cinema and a mansion, I think that one of them, if not all of them, would have stepped up to fill that void. There's always going to be a mansion and a cinema, right? Before it was Lieberman. There's there's always going to be someone in the Democratic Party who basically prevents them from fulfilling their own agenda and is basically a saboteur, a GOP-aligned saboteur. And, you know, Kirsten Sinema is just confirming that there's more right-wing saboteurs in the party then the public probably knows about, but this isn't shocking if you've been paying attention. Now, it's funny that she mocks Biden, but yet she doesn't mock someone like Andy Biggs. She claims that people dislike Andy Biggs because they think that he's crazy, but really, you can only think that he's crazy if you don't know him. Well, Insider gives us some additional context here and contradicts what she says. Cinema and Biggs have been friends since their days serving together in the Arizona legislature, and have long found common ground across the aisle. Cinema backed him for Congress in 2016, telling a business group, I can't wait to sit here and do this with Andy next year, the Phoenix New Times reported at the time. Biggs has, among other things, spread false claims that the 2020 election was stolen from President Donald Trump in Arizona, called for the election in Pennsylvania to be nullified, said as recently as October that it was not clear whether Biden fairly won Arizona in 2020, and denied the existence of climate change. Biggs, who objected to Congress ratifying the 2020 election on January 6th of 2021, has also pushed baseless conspiracy theories that the Black Lives Matter movement, Antifa, and the FBI may have been involved in causing the insurrection. Two of Biggs' own brothers have publicly condemned his attempts to discredit the 2020 election and called for his removal from Congress in the wake of the Capitol riot. Quote, by attempting to cause uncertainty in the election's outcome, Andy is at least partially to blame for the riot at the Capitol on January 6th, the Biggs brothers wrote in a letter obtained by the Arizona Republic. Political ambition, peer pressure, and fealty to former President Donald Trump proved to be too strong a drug to resist. So Andy Biggs is by far one of the dumbest, most extreme members of Congress. He's calling for the end of democracy in the United States. He's an authoritarian. And she's saying, well, you know, he's not crazy. You just don't know him if you think he's crazy. But yet his brothers are saying, no, actually, he's, he's crazy. He should be removed from Congress. That's how crazy he is. But yet Kirsten Cinema loves him. She's politically aligned with a member of the Freedom Caucus. And yet she won't even align with members of her own party. I mean, she's just a Republican. She's just a Republican. The difference between her and... And someone like Mitt Romney, for example, is that she's a registered Democrat, but that doesn't change her behavior, she's still a right winger. And, um, there's some other portions of this article, uh, where they describe a moment where uh, Kirsten cinema reportedly pulled a Marjorie or tried to pull a Marjorie and refused to wear a mask during a meeting with Joe Biden. Let's read that real quick. This is from the same article. The book also described more previously unreported details about the strained relationship between Cinema and the Biden White House, including that Senema fought the White House's request for her to wear a mask in a meeting with Biden and told him not to come to Arizona to tout the passage of the American Rescue Plan last year. So that's just bizarre to me. You fought their request for you to wear a mask during a pandemic. People in Congress are incapable of behaving like adults, and it's just bizarre to me. That's some Marjorie level shit, but I mean, Kirsten Sinema is an extremist. She's a corporate extremist, right? She might be more brazen and in your face about it than other Democrats and other Republicans, but she's an extremist. She believes that corporate rule in America is what should be de facto uh, the governing position, right? It shouldn't be lawmakers determine what laws are passed and aren't passed it should be corporate america the business class and it's just it's sickening so um very very fascinating but again not surprising because this is kirsten cinema a republican we're talking about here so of course she's aligned with insurrectionists like andy biggs and of course she mocked joe biden but you know in a sane world biden would hear articles about uh, like this about her mocking him and he'd think okay you know what the gloves are off now. I'm no longer going to pay them respect because they don't respect me. So Mansion and Cinema, go fuck yourselves. I'm going to call them out publicly, but that's not going to happen, and that's really uh, frustrating. But I mean, even if Biden stepped up and he actually pressured Mansion and Cinema and they buckled, well, then John Tester would step up and fill that void. It's kind of this never-ending cycle of the Democratic Party allowing saboteurs into their big tent party when if the party actually was serious about governing they'd kick these saboteurs these right-wing Republican saboteurs out of the party but um you know at this point I'm really sick of hearing about Kirsten Cinema and it almost makes me feel gross talking about this because I think she just loves the the attention people say that She's an enigma because her actions are a little bit irrational, right? I mean, she's doing things that are antithetical to her re-election campaign, but I think that to her, she just loves the attention. She loves the press, positive or negative. She enjoys it all. So I'm kind of, I feel like I'm feeding into what she wants here by talking about this, but I just think it's important that we com- confirm what we've all speculated, that if it wasn't for Manchin or cinema there'd be some other dickhead who would stand up and block progress. So... That's where we are in the United States. The Democratic Party needs to purge the party of these ghouls, otherwise they will never be able to get things done and they're certainly going to continue to turn off large portions of the base. Rather than bragging about being a big tent party, they need to shrink the size of the tent and kick people like her, Republicans like her and Joe Manchin, out of the party. Dave Rubin is the token gay conservative who gets paid by right-wingers to essentially tell them that their homophobic views are perfectly valid and definitely not bigoted. And that's his whole shtick. That's why they pay him the big bucks. He, as a gay man, uses his gay identity to legitimize homophobia. And his whole shtick is that actually right-wingers aren't bigoted against gay people contrary to popular belief. They're the most tolerant and open-minded. I would know. I am a gay man and I talk to conservatives and they seem perfectly accepting of me. Except we know that that's not true and Dave Rubin only LARPs as a conservative because he values money over his own dignity. Now, he made an announcement that him and his husband are having two kids, two babies in fact, and his fans gave him a brutal reality check reminding him that they're not as tolerant as he's paid to say they are. Now I couldn't actually see the announcement because Dave Rubin has had me blocked for years. Not a fan of me, but thankfully No Nothing TV screenshotted for all of us behind the block, saying I never thought leopards would eat my face. Sobs man who voted for the leopards eating people's faces party. Now uh, No Nothing juxtaposes this announcement of the two babies with the response from his conservative audience, and as you are going to see, they ruthlessly condemn him for this, and it is. Brutal. So, this person says, Don't call yourself a conservative if you celebrate this. How is this not illegal? How is this dude conservative? This ain't it, chief. Feel bad for the kids. Dave, I love you, brother, but not this. Do what you want, but a child needs a mother and a father. How is this okay? Wow. Never knew renting a woman's womb was checks notes conservative. Now, what I find entertaining about this is the fact that so many conservatives are denouncing the commodification of a woman's womb. Aren't you all capitalists? I mean, this is this is capitalism. <laughs> I, I don't I don't know I don't know what else to say about that. But that's just kind of the response from some of the people who tune into him, and many of them let him know that they're this is it. This is kind of a bridge too far for them. But there were some prominent conservatives who responded in a very, very disgusting way. Milo Yiannopoulos, for example, supposed it, quote, ex gay. And a guest on the Rubin Report, I believe they were friends at one point, chimed in saying, disgusting, they should both be executed. Let's just pause for a moment. The reaction here to him celebrating this pivotal moment in his life, becoming a father, is you should be executed. Still think that The conservatives are more tolerant and open-minded, Dave. I've got more for you. Mark Dice chimes in saying, this is horrifying. Buying women's eggs and then renting other women's wombs to grow, quote, their children who will be deprived of their mothers and instead forced to be raised by two gay men as, quote, theirs. Any Christian or conservative congratulating them is just as bad as the Marxists. You have Denise McAllister saying, to purposely deny a child his or her mother, to gratify your need to fill the empty void within caused by your sin and to construct a false family because you have rejected god's holy means to create a real family is nothing less than child abuse i pray for your repentance jason roberge says this is really disgusting having a lux baby is not it no respect for this from me this person simply calls it human trafficking this person says sorry man here is where we part ways And the hate continues. It goes on and on and it is uncomfortable to read. Um, As bad as a person as Dave Rubin is, I honestly started to feel bad for him but then I reminded myself, you don't really have to feel bad because this is the life that he chose for himself. This is him laying in the bed that he made for himself. Again, he chose money over his own dignity and I'm sorry, he deserves this. This is what he gets. Now, to be absolutely fair here, not all conservatives were against this. You had some individuals like Megan Kelly, uh, Megan McCain, Prager U, The Blaze TV chiming in to congratulate him. But overall, by and large, overwhelmingly, most people condemned this and were disgusted by it or they thought that, you know, him choosing to not adopt was also something that was uh, bad. So, yeah. Uh, Dave... I'd love to hear an update on who you believe is still more tolerant. Are you still going to argue that right-wingers are more tolerant than the left and liberals? This is your fan base, Dave. These are people who know you, who followed you for years, and yet they're saying that you're disgusting. They're calling you a human trafficker and a child abuser, Dave. And this comes at a happy time in your life, but they're not happy for you. They think that you're disgusting. They think that you shouldn't even be married, let alone have children so i mean look nobody deserves homophobia but if i had to pick one person Dave Rubin is probably deserving of it at least a little bit right because what he has done is so disgusting he has hurt the gay community by trying to legitimize homophobia by trying to argue that they're actually tolerant he should have challenged their homophobic beliefs but instead he doesn't he gives trump jr permission to call him the f he time and again will do apologia for conservatives and pretend as if it's actually the left who's intolerant. No, Dave. Who's the intolerant one now? I really want to know. Give us an update, Dave. Do you still stand by what you said in that Prager U video, which you were probably paid for? Do you still stand by that after your entire fan base is calling you a degenerate? i just as a gay man myself there's no amount of money i would sell out for to do that to myself to subject myself to homophobic abuse for the foreseeable future for as long as you want to have a career to subject my husband to that and children to that i mean i'd never want to have children but if i did want to have kids my audience since they're not psychopathic homophobes would be happy for me but your audience is not happy for you, Dave, because they hate you. You're useful to them insofar as you tell them that it's perfectly acceptable for them to feel homophobia. You're useful to them insofar as you validate their beliefs when they say that we should take away rights from the LGBTQ plus community. But when it comes to you sharing your life with them, they don't care. They don't want to hear about it. If it's out of sight, out of mind, that's fine. But when you start sharing things like this, that's when you've gone too far. That's when they just can't accept this, Dave. So it's really pathetic and sad that he doesn't just come out and renounce his conservative fan base or renounce everything that he said. But I mean, apparently to him, he just values the money that he gets shilling for right-wingers. I don't know how he lives with himself. I genuinely could not do this. I couldn't do it. Money to me Is not that important. I'd rather have my dignity. I'd rather surround myself with people who actually think that I'm equal to them. I'm a normal human being just like they are, but not Dave Rubin. Dave Rubin thinks, you know what? I want a mansion. I want a luxury car, so I'm gonna shill for them. I'm gonna say what they want. I'm gonna LARP as a conservative and be the the token gay conservative, be their useful idiot, because that's what makes me happy. Money. Now, it may make me feel like shit when I see these responses, but, um, I'll just comfort myself with money." I honestly, I know this is probably mean, but I hope he reads the comments and I hope it hurts his feelings. I hope that he genuinely reflects what he has done, not just to himself, but to the gay community overall. It's just he is such a bad person, such a gross person, that I can't feel bad for him at all. Again, it's like, you know, you vote for the leopards-eating-my-face party and then you act surprised when leopards eat your face. You asked for this. You made your bed now, lie in it. Now, because there is so much evidence with Dave Rubin that conservatives are not actually the tolerant ones, I've decided to put together a mini documentary to kind of uh, demonstrate how sad and pathetic Dave Rubin's life is. So uh, I will leave you with this.
4: I can tell you that in the last few years of my political evolution, I've consistently found conservatives to be tolerant and open minded. Don't take my word for it though. Test it out for yourself. Go talk to some. You know what I found out? The right, much more than the left, believes in the notion of live and let live. <laughs> and that, ladies and gentlemen, is the true definition of tolerance. Will you bake Ruben a wedding cake? The answer is no. Dave Ruben is gay? I did not know I was in his presence. I didn't know I shook his head. Ah, I sat down with him. <laughs>
0: so the death of the bernie 2020 campaign has left a huge void i don't know who the next leader of the progressive wing of the democratic party is going to be i mean certainly bernie sanders is still around fighting for worker rights and for the people. But in terms of who's going to be the next leader of the movement, who's going to run for president as a progressive, I don't know. I genuinely don't know. I think a lot of progressives have been asking themselves this question. It's definitely not going to be Elizabeth Warren. She's burnt every single bridge with progressives in 2020 when she threw Bernie Sanders under a bus so she could advance her own campaign. And when she had an opportunity to really make a difference and prove to everyone that she was serious about enacting progressive change, she didn't. She could have dropped out and endorsed Bernie Sanders when all of the moderate Democrats dropped out and coalesced around Biden, but she didn't do that. So, I don't think anyone trusts her, and for good reason. So, besides her, who else has name recognition? I mean, you have AOC, but I, for one, think that it'd be better off if she had more experience as a legislator. You know, you can have the right policy ideas, but that doesn't necessarily translate into effective policymaking. So I want her to remain in Congress a lot longer so she can actually build up the experience necessary to be more effective if she ever chooses to run for president someday. So who's going to run in 2024 if Biden isn't seeking a second term? Who's going to run in 2028? I think there's nobody, right? Except campaign alum from Bernie 2020 is throwing out a name and they're pushing it pretty hard. And that individual is Rokana. So this was uh, discussed in an article written by Holly Otterbein in Politico. And um, I'll tell you my thoughts on it. But first, let's get to the substance here. Top figures from Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign are privately encouraging Ro Khanna to run for president in 2024 if Joe Biden doesn't seek a second term, giving the California congressman an important stamp of approval from progressives as the party looks to its post-Biden future. Jeff Weaver, Sanders' former presidential campaign manager, and Mark Longabaugh, a senior advisor to Sanders during his 2016 bid, have both urged Khanna to consider a campaign in the event Biden declines to run again, according to a person familiar with their discussions. I think Roe would be a very effective candidate, said Longabaugh, who stressed that he was only referring to a scenario in which Biden did not run again in 2024. Quote, this guy has a message that's very powerful. Roe is basically saying, is there a way in which we can reconstruct the economy so that all of the wealth is not just being generated on the East Coast, West Coast, or out of my congressional district? In an interview, Khanna made clear that he had no intention of challenging Biden and expressed strong support for his reelection, but he did not close the door to 2028. I'm not running in 2024, Kana said. I fully expect the president to run and intend to support him strongly. If for some reason he doesn't, that would be very disappointing. But there are a number of other candidates who I think I could get behind who would make sure that the Democrats beat Donald Trump. Okay, so it doesn't seem like Roe is open to this, perhaps 2028, but 2024, not necessarily so. Um, How do I feel about that? That's what you're all wondering, right? And honestly, I... I'll just be honest, I'm not optimistic about anyone currently. I feel completely hopeless. I don't know that we're going to have the right leader emerge for quite some time on the left. I just, I really value Ro Khanna's opinion. I think that he is a good person. His intentions are pure, but the problem is that as we've learned, that only goes so far. Bernie Sanders is a good person. His intentions are pure, but in 2020, He just wasn't combative enough. He refused to challenge the status quo as vociferously as he did in 2016, and I think that that hurt his campaign. He refused to attack Joe Biden directly when it was warranted and necessary. And I think that Roe Connell would be largely the same uh, in that regard when it comes to strategy. Now, policy, I agree with him. I I absolutely admire that he supports Medicare for all. He is largely anti-war. I have policy disagreements when it comes to BDS. It hurts me that he doesn't support the BDS movement. Um, But I think that when it comes to policy, he would be one of, if not the most left-leaning president in American history if he were able to get elected. But I think that he's so nice that the democratic party establishment would absolutely crush him and he's pursuing the same strategy that elizabeth warren pursued right she really tried to not take a side when it comes to both warring factions of the democratic party you know she didn't want to burn bridges with moderates but for the most of it you know for the most part she tried to maintain a healthy relationship with leftists until the very end when she burned bridges and moderates still didn't support her. She was still attacked. So, I think that this strategy has been a proven failure. So, if Ro Khanna were to be serious about being the new leader of the left, he has to change strategies. I think that his strategy would be catastrophic if he were to ever run for president. I just think that you have to be combative, right? I mean, with Build Back Better, for example, he's been overly deferential to Joe Manchin and he's tried to put his faith in Joe Manchin. He's he's claimed that we have to respect Joe Manchin when I think that the opposite is actually true. I think you have to attack Joe Manchin and call him out. So I feel like somebody who's really uh, going to be the next leader of the Democratic Party's progressive wing, they've got to be a wrecking ball. They've got to be someone who isn't afraid to make enemies. Someone who is going to unapologetically stand up for the people, even if that means making enemies within the Democratic Party and calling out Democratic, uh, Democratic Party leadership. Again, when it comes to his policies, I think that he would do a lot of good with his executive order. But when it comes to the process of governing, I mean, would he have what it takes to call out members of his own party who obstruct his agenda, as they inevitably will do? Does he have what it takes to condemn the media when they side with corporate Democrats, you know, because their advertising dollars also happen to contribute to uh, go to, you know, uh, corporate Democrat campaigns? I just don't feel hopeful. Now, having said that, though, whenever there's another Democratic Party primary, I will support the most left leaning candidate, albeit enthusiastically so, because I just don't have hope that the media is ever going to allow a left wing candidate who's actually left leaning. To be successful. I think that 2020 taught us a lesson. It taught us that the media is still very, very powerful and they control the narrative. And if they want to find a way to sink a candidate, they'll do that. In 2020, it was electability. The Democratic Party's base agreed with Bernie Sanders on Medicare for all, but they got voters convinced that Bernie Sanders just wasn't electable. So I just don't have hope. And maybe I'm too cynical. Maybe Rokana can be the leader who wins. All of this is all speculation, right? But I'm sorry. Our electoral system has beaten me down to where I'm not very optimistic. And it's sad because Rokana is someone who I think is genuinely a nice person. He's reached out multiple times to come on the show when I criticized him. Who does that? Who actually wants to listen to criticism? Most people recoil. So he genuinely wants. To do good, I think his intentions are pure, but I think that the Democratic Party establishment would exploit his niceness and crush him and also subsequently crush the left as a consequence. And that's why I just feel so cynical. And I'm being honest. I hope that my cynicism doesn't rub off on people, but even if there was a candidate who I was excited about, I just don't think that I would allow myself to get as excited and feel as optimistic as I did in 2020 because we saw the reaction to Bernie Sanders.
1: Want more? Visit humanistreport.com for links to our full catalog of videos on YouTube, Means TV, and Facebook. You can also find audio versions of the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, and other major podcast platforms. And before you go, consider supporting the show on Patreon or through YouTube memberships. you get early access to most videos, invites to monthly live chats with Mike, and you'll be thanked by name at the start of the next episode. There are other ways to support the show. You can like, subscribe, turn on notifications, and share our content on social media. Thank you for watching.